Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. It's brought to you in association with West Yorkshire Electrical, who don't just do electricals now fully accredited electrician, but now have their own roofing team because they are specialists in renewables. They do loads and loads of solar panels, so you don't want cowboys on your roof. Get the pros in. West Yorkshire Electrical, now with their own team of roofers. Uh, wyelectrical.co.uk for details there. You can find them on your socials as well. And of course, they do all the usual range of electrical services. Uh, Michael will probably reel off the big three if he was here at the minute, but he doesn't work the Monday show, does he, Phil? So uh, it's just me and you flying solo today. Yes, you'll need to do the big three. I'm, I'm not quite as free as you. Big three, Phil, what? Solar panel installation, battery storage, EV charging for your home or your business, security alarm, CCTV. There's more than three there. I could go on, but they're all on the website. If it's got wires, basically, they will work with it. You've got finance available for work on your home or your business, wyelectrical.co.uk for details. Let's get into it then, shall we? We've got actually a little bit more to review than we think because we had the game on Friday night and we recorded ahead of the transfer deadline. So let's start with the end, which was the victory on Friday night at Bristol. And... I don't know about you, I mean, from a fan's perspective, and do you agree from a journalist's perspective, that that game, it was one of those tests that was put in front of Leeds, which they they failed to overcome it earlier in the season against the likes of, let's say, Stoke and Sunderland, whereas this time with Bristol, they did overcome it and got a well-deserved victory. And I don't know if I'm kind of reverse engineering the outcome now to how I feel or what, but it feels to me like Leeds are heading in a good direction at the minute. Like maybe there's a little bit of momentum building up. Oh, more than a little. That's five five straight wins. And I think significantly as well, two of them away from home in, in games that on, on paper at least were quite similar to to a few of the fixtures that they'd lost prior to the, the turn of the year. And I I don't think it is um I don't think we're inventing anything here to say that, that they've started to find solutions in the sort of games that were becoming problematic for them. Cardiff was obviously far more comfortable than the Bristol City win. But and, and and in no way was it exactly the same game, but there were similarities in the way that Leeds were strong from, from start to finish, didn't have long spells in the game where they looked like they were in trouble or looked like they were they were going to give in, anything away. There was that one chance for Bristol City in the second half, which um which Millie saved. But Farker was right afterwards when he was saying to us that he was, you know, he he looked at that game as, as one that Leeds should have won by a wider margin. And the way he put it to us was that he was annoyed about the fact that they didn't take more of the chances and they want more ruthless, want more efficient in front of goal. But I think really deep down, he was absolutely delighted with that result. It was a cold and it was a wet, blustery night at Ashton Gate. They're a very mixed side, Bristol City. They've got mid-table all over them, I think. And, and you could see that in their performance as well. But I don't think that made it an, an easy game at all, particularly with the scheduling of it. Important as well, I think, to 
to get that result on the board, given the games that are now coming up and, and the amount of travelling that Leeds will have to do down to Swansea and, and Plymouth twice. But all in all, I just think that it, it is a case of, you know, a team who are now finding solutions in these games. And they were the better side, comfortably, against Bristol City. Um, I, I didn't feel like the game was going to end in anything other than than the way win. And Greg Fernando as well, I think. It's, I'd written at the start of the week after the, the FA Cup game against Plymouth that he really is the one attacking resource that Farker hasn't been able to tap into properly this season. You could almost say the same of Anthony, but I think the difference with Anthony is that he's on loan from Bournemouth with you know no permanent option there. So no bigger picture around him. But Nonto is a player who's on a long contract, a contract that Leeds want to extend. And it just hasn't got going for him um, since the, the saga of the summer. So that was a big moment. And I think he could see it in his body language, you know, his reaction to the away end, the, the punch towards the away end, that, that he needed that. And, in, and he knew it was a, a big moment for him. And if he starts to come out of his shell at this point, you know, in the way that, that Bamford's come to the fore as well, then it will do this season absolutely no harm. And psychologically, I think being second, even for, you know, a matter of hours, is a, is a big deal. It's a little bit like training for the Olympics, isn't it? You uh, you do all your you build up work and then you want it so you're peaking at the right time. So hopefully Leeds can now peak for uh, for the running and maybe we've seen Ipswich going off the boil and they put in a pretty uh, drab and dismal performance at Preston, particularly in that uh, in that first half, some woeful defending that suggests maybe um, they're not at the races at the minute. Yeah. Well, I'm fully aware as well that these things can turn. They definitely can turn. I think... That was a pretty damaging result for them on on Saturday. And as you say, there'll be concerns about the performance. And I think that will worry McKenna and others at Ipswich more than some of the games they've had recently. When we were chatting about them a couple of podcasts ago, we were sort of making the point that, on the one hand, the the form had slipped and they weren't winning games at anything like the same rate as they were earlier in the season. But on the other, you couldn't pretend that they'd had anything like an, an easy fixture list. You know, it'd been Leicester twice, it'd been Norwich at home. They'd obviously had to come to Ellen Road. I think if you were being pragmatic about it, it was, you know, it was fair to, to, to take that fixture list and say, well, there was likely to be a, a point in that where, where points started to spill. But that result, I know Leeds lost at Deepdale themselves, but it, it was poor by their standards for Ipswich. And in no way is it boiled down to a two-horse race for second place. Ipswich are still close enough, still have played fewer games than than Leeds, so could get themselves back into that position quite quickly. But it has felt over the the past month, two months, that from Leeds' perspective, the real threat to second place is Southampton. That, that's how it looks, and I still think that Leicester far enough ahead to be to be pretty sure of a top two finish and probably pretty sure of the title. And I I felt from Leicester's perspective, it was quite telling that. Having had the you know the scenario last week where they almost got Sensi from Inter Milan, it didn't happen at the last minute. It was a bit of a shambles. You could tell that Maresca wasn't delighted about what was happening with transfers. There seemed to be a bit of peculiar, I thought, but a bit of grumbling amongst the crowd. An absolute rout for them at the weekend without missing a beat. They're in great shape and they do look like they're going up. If you're on a little crumb of comfort, Phil, where Southampton are concerned, and I will give credit to AWOL, who's the poster uh, on Wacko on the thread about the the, the chasing pack has pointed out that throughout the entire season, Southampton have only won three games against the entire top half in their 29 games played so far. That's once against West Brom, once against Hull and against us. And that's it. So that 21 game unbeaten run, it's a myth, Phil. It's not even real. It <laughs> doesn't exist. doesn't exist. Well, you know, they, they are going to hit some hard fixtures at, at some stage. And, and one of the most difficult for them is going to be Ellen Road on the last day of the season, the only caveat there being that they, 
you know, the attention on that game and what surrounds it is going to depend entirely on how the table looks. And I would imagine that they would very much be hoping in going for second place that they can turn that into a dead rubber um, and, and that they deal with what they have to deal with before that, you know, that becomes live. But that has the potential to be hell for leather, that fixture. And it would be absolutely great if it was. I mean, I know sometimes that limiting the tension is a good thing, but those are the days that tend to stick with you. You know, those are the days that are so good to cover because it's it's all all or nothing. Um, and I think it has the potential to go that way. You know, I think they are going to be, it's going to be very tight, I feel, to, to the end of the season now. But I think the good thing for Leeds, and, and Farker has tried every time we speak to him and every time we ask him about the division, um, about promotion, even about the transfer window. I sort of asked him last Wednesday, what have you made of what's going on elsewhere? And he just gave that kind of stock response of, you know, I, I haven't really paid a huge amount of attention to it. And, and what's happening elsewhere you know, doesn't particularly influence what Leeds need to do in the market. I think the way he put it was that even if you're having two or three signings at another club, it doesn't make you panic and doesn't make you think, right, we need to, to do something ourselves. And I think also not every signing that's being made at a different club would fit into your squad anyway. So to take David Brooks at Southampton, I think that's great signing for them. And I can see how he would have fitted at Leeds, um, but I'm not sure how much game time he would have would have got. I don't think last week you're sitting saying Leeds should have done David Brooks. You're still sitting there saying Leeds need to do a right back. You know, that is the big priority. That is the one position that they need to, to cover. And it's the position that they have covered, and I think they've done better than cover it in Connor Roberts. I mean, he's been highly proven championship right back for a long time now. We went to see him before the signing was announced on Thursday. We went down just to do a bit of media with him at Ellen Road. And it's hard not to like the cut of his jib. You know, he's clearly got a, he's clearly got a bit of an attitude, which is great. You know, he's he's quite a spiky guy. He was talking about how much he like, likes a scrap on the pitch, how much he likes to get stuck in, how much he enjoys the needle. But you can also just hear him what he says, the confidence of somebody who, who knows the drill in the championship, has seen it before, has been through, you know, the playoffs with Swansea a couple of times, won the title with, with Burnley. This is absolutely his, you know, familiar hunting ground. He seemed delighted to be here. He wasn't making much secret about the fact that he'd quite like this to be long term, if it could be at the the end of the loan. And I think, you know, from a technical perspective and as as a player, I think it's a good signing. But I also think there'll be some real value in, in having him in the dressing room. Two things then on that stuff you just said, Phil. First of all, is that if it does come down to a final day showdown against Southampton, which would be it'd be a day for the ages, wouldn't it? I don't think that's something to necessarily be scared of because if you break it down, a day like that is going to come in the season at some point where Leeds need to win to go up if we are to go up. So whether that is just a home game or an away game, whatever it might be, or whether it's that game against Southampton, whether it's the playoff final, if we're going to go up, a day will come where we have to achieve that. So I think it's nothing to be scared of. It's something we should embrace and and potentially look forward to. I know the stakes are so, so high with stuff like that, but... Yeah, we'll, we'll, totally, we'll totally revisit this in the week before um, the game itself when it's all on the line and we'll, we'll work out whether or not um, there's any tension at that point. I'm, I'm with you, though, as an occasion. I mean, I think back to Middlesbrough-Brighton at the Riverside when it was, you know, it was absolutely all or nothing. And, and I think, crucially as well, it wasn't as if that was set up in a way where one team in particular were massively favoured. You know, Middlesbrough had the the slight edge. Um, Middlesbrough knew exactly what they what they had to do. But Brighton could easily have gone up that day too. You know, it, it was a hundred percent all on the line, and it will from you know as as a spectacle. It'd be terrific if if that's how how it ends up. In saying that, I don't think anybody in Leeds is going to be moaning if um, if Leeds have got it wrapped up before that point either. The other point, Phil, was about 
Maybe is there a sweet spot for players? And we saw this very much with, uh, and we're going to drop the B-bomb again, the Bielsa squad, um, you know, the likes of Luke Ayling, Stuart Dallas, Liam Cooper, and so on and so forth. Is there a sweet spot for players? Um, and I wonder, is this re- reflected in what was said by, by Conor Roberts, where they come to Leeds as the biggest club they will ever play for, and they'll find a home here, and they maintain perhaps a level of hunger that drives them forward. And it perhaps it's something that, that can be missing that, that hunger uh, when it comes to the sort of the next level up, the next tier up of signings, you know, where they don't really have anything to prove. Um, they've come in on big fees, that kind of thing. And, you know, we saw the, the transition towards that type of player not really work at Leeds in the, uh, in the sort of couple of years after we went up. Yeah, well, it's interesting you ask that because Robert said to us when we were speaking to him, you know, about the move itself, he was telling us that he'd always wanted to play for Leeds. And, and there was a long-standing joke in Scottish football about a guy called Mo Johnston who played for Rangers and, and Hearts and various other clubs. And he had this habit of turning up to every single club he signed for and saying, I've always wanted to play for X. You know, and it became his, his kind of stock trademark phrase. But Roberts was saying to us, I didn't grow up as a Leeds fan. I've never been a Leeds fan, um, but I've always wanted to play for this club. And we were like, well, you know, why, why is that? And and he said, it's just the appeal. He he made, you might remember, he made his first ever championship appearance at Ellen Road for Middlesbrough. Um, didn't have a good day that day. I have to say, it wasn't a great day for Gary Monk when Middlesbrough didn't didn't play well and, and were pretty soundly, soundly beaten by Leeds. Did the group not perform, mm-hmm. Phil? No, I don't think they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't actually think him picking Roberts that day especially helped his stock at Middlesbrough. It wasn't too long after that that, that Monk ran into trouble there. But Roberts has developed massively. He's a very young player at that point. He's developed hugely since then. And, and he said it, he loved the atmosphere when he came and played here. And it just felt like a club that would be a good fit for him. I mean, you know, I'm talking about liking Needle and Niggle and liking a scrap. I mean, that to a large degree is what, what Leeds are about. And he said other players had said to him, you'd, you'd fit in there. You know, you'd, you'd suit that place because of the way you are, because of your temperament and your personality. But he, he did also say that, in his view, there is something that is more special about achieving big things with big clubs, you know, clubs that have big reputations, big histories, big fan bases. Um, and that was part of the, the lure for him. We, on Friday after the game, it was the first chance we'd had to speak to Farker about that signing in particular. And we got into talking about Roberts being Welsh, you know, and, and Farker joked himself, we've almost got the whole of the, the Wales national team here. But I do think there's something good and positive in that. And I, I decided to write about it on Friday because I think it's it's quite relevant. And it goes without saying that Leeds aren't signing the, any of these players, you know, Ampadu, Rodon, Roberts, because they're Welsh per se. You know, there's nothing unique about Welsh footballers. But the Welsh national team for a long time now has had this tier of players who are amply good enough for the championship and, you know, and, and clearly are. And, and it always makes sense that that would be the type of footballer that you would be trying to get hold of um, if you were you were wanting to get promoted. And it's also true that these guys are really tight, you know, they're kind of thick as thieves, Roberts, Rodon, Ampadu, um, Dan James. And that cannot be a bad thing in your dressing room. It's it's problematic if, if that sort of thing becomes cliquey, but I don't think that's how it is. I think these are all genuinely good personalities, genuinely good characters. Um, and given how much Parker talks about the right character and that needing to be an aspect of recruitment and, and the transfer strategy. You can see why why he would be going for these crowd, not but this crowd, not because they're Welsh specifically, but because they do do know each other. They've they've worked together before, they've worked well together before. And you always need in a dressing room a good solid core that everybody else can orbit around. I was gonna say we've spoken before about like the leadership group and it's a phrase, I know that Jesse Marsh used it, but it was put in place 
when Bielsa was here, wasn't it? And, and I know we keep falling back on Bielsa, but it was the last time it, it works at this level in a sort of serious capacity. There's that core. Yeah, but it's, of... it, it's almost it's almost gone. You know that this is the thing they've been trimming away at that leadership group to the point where really Liam Cooper is the the only one in an active sense, the only one left. There is still Stuart Dallas, but obviously Dallas has had this injury for a long time. So he's around and, and is involved, but you know, on the on the footballing front, hasn't played for, for almost two years now. So it is having to be replaced by others. And and it's a younger core, definitely younger group, Rodon Ampadu, you know, are, are earlier in their careers. And and likewise Roberts. And it's almost funny looking at Roberts at 28, you know, with the title behind him and a couple of playoff campaigns with Swansea and thinking that he represents somebody ultra experienced in that dressing room. But it's a fact because it is a very young dressing room and there are lots of young players who haven't been through this before. And I do think there will come a stage in the season where it's still about talent, it's still about ability, it's still about the quality of a team, but it is also going to come down to who's got a pair at the crucial moment. And I think they will find in Roberts that they've got a really good competitor, very good right back as well. Um, Although if I'm being fair to Archie Gray, I don't think Archie Gray on Friday was in any way opening the door to Roberts coming into the team. You know, I thought he played played really well at Ashton Gates, uh, Ashton Gate. But that to me is a really good signing, Roberts. I think it is. Um, and I, and I say again, I think it's a really good signing in the position where they had to get somebody. Yeah, just what you were saying there about the leadership group was the point I was kind of angling at before as well. The failure to replace it, um, and, and they put in place quite a young group of successors, didn't they? Uh, in terms of signings and things like that. And that sort of mid-20s group didn't really exist in order to kind of pick up the mantle from the older players and just have it all as a more sort of gradual continuum rather than just bringing in a load of players that were young and were expected to kind of make things happen. Like, I mean, it goes back to what we were saying about Willie Nonto and his and his misdeeds this season. He's still a very young man. And I know there are plenty of teenagers in our squad who've not rocked the boat, but, um, you know, not everybody's the same, are they? And he's he's made a mistake and it feels like at least he's trying to atone for that mistake now anyway. The crucial thing in those situations is that if, as Farker did, you decide to bring him back into the fold, you then have to start getting form out of him um, and performances out of him. And it has been difficult. It's partly been difficult because Somerville and, and Dan James haven't been making it easy to get into this team in the position, you know, positions where where Nonto would would really like to play. And I think you know, James has had an excellent season, but I think Somerville has been better again. And some of it, I think, if truth be told, is probably in the position where Nonto would most like to be playing, you know, would most like to be on the left. Certainly on the basis of how it went for him last season. But it has been a case of, you know, opportunities on the right-hand side of the pitch, which, which I think hasn't seemed to suit him quite so much, but I think it's far more to it than that. Isn't it? it just hasn't got, it didn't get going for him this season because of the, the situation in August and because of the, you know, the, the kind of conflict and friction between him and the club was just not, not a good start. But now that this window is closed, Nonto knows that he's going to be here until the end of the season, at least. Um, he, he knows that he's got the Euros coming up. You would think there'd be a lot of motivation there to knuckle down, not least the you know the kind of scent of promotion as well, which is, is a big thing to have on on your CV. And certainly Roberts, you know, very proud of the fact that he won the title with with Burnley. I think very proud as well of the seasons that he'd had at Swansea when they went went really close. But just to touch back on that leadership group, I think. You know, Roberts has clearly been here and done it before, so he knows the drill. But I'm starting to look at Rodon and think he looks like a player who, who's been promoted from this division before. Like His body language and his attitude and the way he's playing, he just looks like he's got it in hand and, and he knows that he can cope with it. And I do wonder, at this rate, when Strike comes back, and that'll be in two or three, four weeks' time, something like that, when he's fit to play again, I do wonder what Farker will do with the centre of his defence. 
Because I don't think it's a it's a straightforward decision at the moment to break up that pairing of Rodon and Ampadu. It's looking really good. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I know we're slaloming all over the place here, Phil, but yeah, just to go back to the Roberts sign-in, just strikes me as eminently sensible, like much of the business that we've done this season has just it's felt obvious. It's kind of the thing that we we were perhaps lacking a little bit with the moonshot signings under Victor Orta. You know, everything Victor Orta did, uh, did wasn't necessarily bad or good. Plenty of misses in there. Some hits as well. You know, you look at Rafinha, for example, was absolutely outstanding business for the club, wasn't he? But these are all, even if they're not that exciting, the very, very obvious and solid signings that are giving us perhaps that foundation that you could argue we, we lacked previously. Well, as we were going through, Leeds were never pretending they were going to do much in January. Um, and as we were going through the month with nothing materialising, the, the club were trying to make the point to us that they were slightly wary of just wading into something they could do quickly at the expense of then not being able to do something that they really wanted to do later in the window because they've already covered that position. And, you know, Roberts was on the list of targets right from from the start at right back, same as Nico Williams and, and others, another another Welshman. And he does fit. He does fit. And I think the good thing as well is you you, you kind of strengthen him from a position of strength. You know, it's, there's no crisis at right back at the moment, but there is a shortage of, of options and a shortage of bodies there. And, and also with um, Gray and Shackleton, you're talking about two kind of hybrid fullbacks there, midfielders really. I know Shackleton's played there quite a bit over the years and, and I know Gray does that with, with England as well, but Gray is a central midfielder. There's no, no doubt about that. But what you have in Roberts is you have an actual right-back who, if there comes a point in the season where you need an actual right-back in, in there, you've got him and you know that in form he, he will play well in this league. And I mean, on the on the sort of auto front, I, I'm writing the next couple of days just on that emerging talent group that they threw a lot of time and money at, you know, from, you know, a few deals prior to 2020, but from promotion onwards, you know, the, 
the Dramis and the Gelharts and, and the McGurks and so on. And it was McGurk leaving um, at the end of the window that kind of got me on to, to thinking about that. You know, in a window where you saw Helder go as well and Lewis Bate gone out on loan will be at the end of his contract when when that finishes. There are a lot of them that, that haven't worked. Um, and there have been some hits. You've got to say that. There have been some successes. Some of it will be in a very notable one. Going back a little bit further, I think you could put Stroik and, and Millier into that category as well. But I think there probably haven't been enough hits all round. Uh, and and again, you know, last the story of the outgoings last month beyond really what happened with Ailing and Spence was that more of these prospects that it just hasn't worked out for them. Just with reference to um, to Archie Gray, he was my man of the match for Friday. I know um, Nonto got it for possibly for what's the word emotional reasons, but Archie was absolutely brilliant on Friday. I just just watching him is such a pleasure. He's such a good footballer. You can just see he just yeah. uses class, doesn't he? Yeah, and I mean, it, it, again, the sort of prodigy in the squad, the, the biggest asset in a development sense, and and really the, the player with most potential in that squad is another one who's been in the academy from the you know from the get go. Um, Gray. So many of the best players who've come through Leeds Academy, certainly recently, have been in there since like primary school age, you know, and and that is how it's proven. But as I say, you do have some of them who came over from from Feyenoord, but at a, at a much later age. And you're right about Gray, and I did say that to Farka afterwards. You know, that doesn't actually look like Gray is 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 particularly creating room for Roberts to get into this team. And he just said, "Well, no, I agree. You know, I, I don't think at the moment you could justifiably drop Gray on on merit, even though you've got Roberts in the background." But um, in terms of man of the match, I've found it very difficult yet again to sway away um, from Rodon, who just seems to do all the right things at the right time, comes up with big moments when you when you need big moments. And in his own sort of quiet way, I think he's making a real push for Player of the Year award. Very much so, yeah. It feels like the, um, the solid defence is really starting to have a bearing on the season now. And like yeah. you were saying before, you can see Ampadu staying back there, can't you? Because they seem absolutely impervious at the minute, the pair of them. Well, I think with Ampadu as well, you know, over the years he's played at centre back a lot. Um, so there's a, a debate to be had really about what he is. Like, is he a better centre mid? Is he a centre back? I think from what I've seen, I, I'd be, if it was my choice, I'd be playing him in the centre of midfield. But the thing is, when you have Grev and you have Kamara and Ampadu can play like that as centre back, it's that thing of never wanting to disrupt a team that doesn't need shuffled around and there isn't a huge amount that needs change for this side at the moment granted they, they are missing some chances um, and Farker's right that they could be winning by by bigger margins but actually if you look at the expected goals calculations they're not far off you know they're, they're pretty much where they need to be conversion rate of big chances is decent it's in the, the mid 40s it's similar to Leicester it's not far off Southampton you could always be better but I think Farker at the moment is at the point where he's having to find things to pick fault with rather than having being spoiled for choice when it comes for, for things to, to worry about. I just think they're in a really, really good good point at the minute. Back to Plymouth on Tuesday for possibly the least wanted fixture of the entire season, this one, the FA Cup replay. But it is a chance to, to keep that momentum going, isn't it? It is. It is. And decent ties at the other side of it. Chelsea away, Villa away. I don't know how winnable you'd class either of those, although... You know, Chelsea seem to be making a pretty extraordinary meal. Potential banana skin there, Phil. Well, I mean, generally is. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you would be talking about one of the best sides in the championship who are very much in the habit of winning, going to a side in the Premier League who, you know, all the gear, no idea. 
um, and just seem to to sway wildly from one thing to to the next, and don't actually seem to be able to put together much in the way of good form at all. The, the, the worst of Chelsea's defeats seem to be particularly dreadful, and I would suggest that Villa is likely to be the more difficult game of the two, depending on on how it turns out. I think Farke will go. He, he was saying that Shackleton's likely to miss uh, miss tomorrow's game. He's he's ill. Um, he won't have James. He won't have strike. It's off the back of you know a pretty intense game at Bristol City. So you're definitely going to see changes. Um, but I think he'll do what he's done previously in the FA Cup and actually in the League Cup as well. I think he'll make sure that he gives gives Leeds a chance. But a long trip he could do without, no question. Yeah, and uh, far be it from me to bring in home and away form into things. But uh, <laughs> Ply- Plymouth have been pretty strong at home um, this season. But is this being a cup tie? Is this a completely different kettle of fish? Yeah, I think it. I think it probably is. I think in in the periods where Plymouth have been good at Ellen Road, I've been sort of quietly impressed by them. But I, I, no doubt at all, I didn't think that there the was enough in in both the the league game and the cup game, and and Leeds did edge the the league game, but enough in both of them for Leeds to put the, the game to bed before Plymouth started to to get busy in it. Um, they were probably worth a uh, replay and a draw, I thought, in in the first game. But I still think Leeds allowed that to slip to the point where Plymouth got got back into it. But yeah, no, you're right. It, it will be different. There, there are other priorities. It, I think it goes without saying this week that if one game had to go wrong for Farker, it, it can't be Saturday against Rotherham. No, no, no. What represents then, well, a question that flows from that, what represents the ideal scenario for Leeds in this cup game on Tuesday, in your opinion? Well, I think since you're down there, you might as well win it. And I say all the time, I can't think of too many occasions where I've, I've thought that it was truly beneficial for Leeds to be out of the, the FA Cup. I know it limits your schedule and I know it prevents games getting added onto the fixture list. But I think even going back to seasons that have gone well, the, the correlation between out of the cup and in the cup doesn't always seem to be there. You know, you can apply it if you want, but I'm not sure there's there's necessarily much much to that argument. I don't think it'll do Leeds any harm if they go through. If they happen to get edged out in this game, I don't think that does them any particular damage either. And as I say, the priority as soon as that game finishes will be to get home, get set and get ready for, for Rotherham, which, you know, incredibly winnable game at home. And we will speak about that game towards the back end of the week. Speak to you then, Phil, yeah? Thank you. We'll see you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. 